It's been interesting to me over the last few years to listen to people's journey through their own career in networking, especially as I reflect on my own. And, and really how I find it so common to hear about a cloud engineer, a cloud engineer today, who only a few years ago was a very traditional network engineer. Now, I've always been interested in people's journeys in technology, probably because my own seems to have these distinct periods that I think are kind of punctuated by events and decisions that cause me to move onto something new. And, uh, and that's what we'll be discussing today. So with me is Sean Legan, an experienced network engineer of many, many years turned cloud engineer, and we'll be talking about his journey in the networking field, what brought him to where he is today, but also how his experience serving in the United States Air Force impacted him professionally, something I'm looking forward to hearing about very much. My name is Philip Gervasi, and this is Telemetry Now. Hey, Sean, it is really great to have you. Thanks for joining today. Uh, much appreciated. I, I'm really looking forward to talking to you, uh, especially about your journey from being a, I don't know, I guess you can call it a more traditional network engineer into what you do now, just because I hear it so often these days. So really great to have you. And, and Doug, always great to have you joining us, uh, our resident director of internet analysis uh, extraordinaire. I'm going to add that on as well. Just getting to know you more over the past year and a half working at Kentuck. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say extraordinaire is not even sufficient. But in any case, uh, going back to you, Sean, can you give us a little bit of background of uh, where you started in technology and then maybe what you're doing these days? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of had a cheat code of, of starting through the Air Force. So um, I didn't know that much about computers. Um, ended up wanting to, to kind of join the military to go do something different in life and uh, found a job description that sounded cool. So um, anyway, I went after that. I was in the Air Force for about six years and then ended up, um, you know, kind of coming out, working in the defense uh, contract industry, uh, specifically around some network engineering, system engineering type of roles, um, th those types of things. And then, uh, yeah, kind of made my way from there over to to large enterprise, um, more in kind of the, the standard private sector of large enterprise. Um, today, I'm... Um, uh, you know, today I'm at Juniper Networks, uh, so I do product management within Juniper Networks and kind of our cloud and data center team. Okay, great. And then, Doug, uh, I know that you and, and Sean know each other from your time serving together in the U.S. Air Force, correct? Yeah, so this is kind of one of those weird things of uh, uh, reconnecting with someone that you knew, like, many lifetimes ago, uh, it would it feels. Uh, so, Sean mentioned being in the Air Force, and... Uh, I think his first assignment was in Aviano Air Base in Italy, and so I was his flight commander. I was his commanding officer. Now we're contemporaries in the industry, but uh, uh, in those days, um, you know, I was maybe 24, he's 19 or something. I was, uh, you know, was, uh, uh, I got to be a, uh, his, his boss's boss, whatever. Um, but, yeah, Sean was working on uh, tactical telephone switches, um, I don't remember, like, um, so like 3865s for people in the military, knowing all this old uh, green equipment that fits in the transit cases that you throw on the back of a truck. And um, uh, yeah, I remember, uh, yeah, I remember Sean. And uh, it was really neat to um, come across his name later on, 
I don't know. I don't know. Maybe in the last 10 years, I think we reconnected. I was like, is that the same guy? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, oh man, we're in the same business now. It's uh, it's super fun. It's super fun to see another person that you knew as a young person and then see them again, uh, having a lot of success. So it's, it's great to re uh, get to know you, Sean. Yeah. Thanks Doug. No, uh, likewise. It's, it's definitely been fun, you know, from, uh, boy, a couple of nanogs ago, right. We had the opportunity in San Francisco to kind of meet up and go grab dinner and catch up and so forth. So, uh, yeah, multiple times since then. So yeah, it's been great. So Sean, uh, what are you a project or rather, yeah, a product manager for specifically at Juniper? What's the, what's the line? Yeah, good, good question. So I work uh, predominantly in, in our CN, it's called CN2. It's basically cloud native uh, networking solution. So um, think, you know, Kubernetes cluster networking type of scenarios, uh, helping a lot of our customers kind of build out their cloud platforms, um, you know, both enterprise and service provider space uh, as well. And, and, you know, they're kind of, cloud platforms. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a really fun job that I, to be honest, I didn't know exactly what to expect kind of getting into it. And I, I've been very, very pleasantly surprised, but it's been an interesting transition from say, you know, kind of hands-on network engineer going into network architect, um, my career, and then myself kind of dealing with, you know, the, the onset of cloud and, and taking on and learning cloud networking, um, when I was working in the enterprise space to, to then, yeah, eventually migrating over to, to Juniper. Do are a lot of the folks that you're working with, maybe your customers, maybe people out in the community at large, would you say that they're cloud engineers, network engineers, maybe former network engineers that are now cloud engineers? What's that, what's that makeup of the folks that you interact with? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of all of that. It's definitely the network engineers that I talk to that are still kind of have that network engineering title, the ones that do, um, it, you know, it's a little bit different, right? They're, they're definitely more focused on um, cloud networking and kind of those aspects to it. And then there's, uh, I'd say that's the majority of the role, you know, and there's some organizations, some of the people that we talk to, you know, their title might be mm-hmm. more of like a, like a cloud platform type of, uh, type of role. But they definitely, you know, lean more towards the networking side. I mean, just from the the pure nature of the folks that, that I interact with. Yeah, I mean, especially if you think about the nature of the network today, right? So I know, you know, at Kentic, we're, we have a lot of history on the service provider side, right? But if we are talking about enterprise networking and then enterprise cloud networking, we are talking about a, I almost said hodgepodge, that has a negative connotation. I'm going to say a healthy amalgamation of a variety of different networks, um, and uh, and and there is a different aspect of networking in each one of those niches of networking. So I'm configuring my ASRs and ISRs. Excuse me, you're it's both okay. Juniper. <laughs> my mistake. <laughs> using Cisco language. You're configuring your on-prem routers at the command line. Then you're configuring your, uh, you know, uh, your 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 networking in the cloud. And then you're trying to gather metrics from your container networking resources. And you have all these components that all feel like networking. But my goodness, are they very different than networking was 10 years ago? So I'm, su- you know, the the language is changing. The what I need to know is changing. I mean, are you seeing that that there is kind of an evolving skill set for the network engineer these days? Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of like the way that you you articulated that. You know, there, there's all these different aspects to it. Um, you know, if we think like, I, you know, I kind of came from a little bit more of, you know, especially starting off, right, was that traditional networking background, right? Go, go grab a switch, you know, grab a router. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of implementation work, uh, a lot of rack and stack cabling, jump in the CLI, get things configured, upgrade the OS, 
Um, you know, and that, it, that, that's still there, right? It still exists. There's still people that go and do that. There's a lot of different tools today to, to try and make that work better at scale and so forth. But, you know, when you, you take that like a little bit of a step further, and especially today, it's kind of, you know, that's not really enough, right? To, to solve the needs of networking within a given, especially in the enterprise space, um, you know, within a given enterprise environment. And so now you get into like Linux networking, um, you know, in some areas, right? And, and one of the things that, you know, it sounds so um, like obvious and rudimentary, but I think sometimes in network engineers, it's easy to forget. It's like, you know, the network doesn't start at the switch port, right? The network starts at the host, right? The packets using the TCP IP stack of the host and getting put on a wire, on a NIC, on a server. And that's where the packet is generated. And then it comes to your switch. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, sure, that, 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 of course, that's obvious. But if you really kind of think about what does that mean when you look at, um, in a given enterprise, if you're responsible for the network, if you're responsible for packet delivery from, you know, point A to point C type of thing. And that, that was how I viewed my, my role. I was a senior network architect for a pretty large enterprise. Um, you know, we had somewhere around like 9,000 to 9,500 switches and routers in our environment. Um, and, you know, when you start thinking about that, you really think about the data center. It's, I think it's important to keep that in mind, um, you know, and really kind of view the network from mm -hmm. that standpoint, right? It, it's, it starts at the host. Um, so it's really important to, to think about it from that perspective. And that also changes, you know, the, the viewpoint of things, right? You start getting into stuff like, um, you know, how do, how do applications behave and, in, in, you know, from a networking perspective, um, and, you know, kind of what does that look like? And, you know, I think it changes the perspective a little bit, especially in the enterprise space, when you think about kind of networking and, and what that role looks like. I would say a lot bit. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it no, is. No, but seriously, think about it. I, I, I mean, just as I was leaving being a, I guess, a traditional field or implementation engineer, um, that was just a, f a few years ago. It wasn't that long ago. And it really felt like, and I, w I worked mostly for VARs, so uh, I didn't necessarily always manage my own network. But, you know, I worked with some projects that went many months or years uh, because of the implementation schedule. So I almost kind of owned that network. And uh, what I felt like was that there was a shift from, like, managing my boxes to having this, like, loose collection of administrative domains. So I'm managing like an SD-WAN, so there's a controller, but I don't touch the controller because it's not here, it's in the cloud, okay. And then I'm managing my traffic over the network, but I'm really just managing some de decisions I'm making in the overlay. I don't really manage the underlay. So I have these, these administrative domains where I sort of light touch manage certain things. Yes, there's a campus where I can like literally kick a switch or a UPS in a rack, um, but not, but not all of it. And then when you start to add in things like the cloud technologies, or, uh, if you're, if you maybe, you know, in, in some enterprises where they're offloading the management of their data center to an MSP or something like that. Um, I found that you have these collections of, of administrative do domains and then the shift in traffic in general, instead of, I mean, do you, do you remember like configuring like different types of IPsec VPNs in a full mesh over the public internet to connect my branch offices? Who, who does that? I'm sure some people do that. I'm going to get an email now. 
But I, I, I stopped doing that years ago because it's like everything was going up and out. Very little branch-to-branch -branch connectivity. Maybe you had like a print server and a, maybe a local something, you know, local DNS server, not even that. But whatever, other than those very, very niche like local uh, applications that you needed to run for some specific purpose, everything was going up and out. Maybe back to the data center if you were backhauling or more and more up and out to the cloud. And we were even offloading to CASB, so I didn't own my firewalls anymore. I was, I was basically logging into a portal and managing a collection of firewalls. No, even more than that, managing a policy, right. one policy that was pushed to a bunch of firewalls. So that's kind of how I felt the changing nature of the enterprise network engineer, managing administrative domains, these kind of autonomous networks that all went out, but they were all under my realm of control, my, my puppet strings, if you will. And so you mentioned how applications communicate, though. Is, is that an important thing? for? Because that's not something I thought about when I was turning a wrench. How do applications communicate? It's like, oh, you got your ping replies? I'm out. You know, right, I'm done. Right. I'm logging off the WebEx. Um, that's not the case anymore. You're saying engineers, network engineers in particular, need to understand how applications I, communicate. I, I think it's helpful to a degree. You know, what I, what I found in my experience is when you look at, like, the enterprise space, if I run around talking to other people within IT about the network, you know, they're kind of like, okay, like that, that's cool. I talked to them about network protocols. They're like, all right, you know, you're talking to me about BGP and OSPF and, you know, go, go talk to somebody that's outside of the networking space in your, in your, you know, organization about your, your LSA database, right. And, and LSAs and you're, you're talking Greek and quite frankly, it's not very valuable to talk to them about that. Right. But, but where there is value is to talk okay. about, you know, people can kind of coalesce around the applications and the things that are necessary to provide, um, you know, the critical services back to your organization, whatever those may be. And so, you know, I know for myself, it was, it was when I started getting more involved with, um, you know, our application load balancers ended up falling kind of on the network team. Mm. We were doing this large migration. We started doing more layer seven type of load balancing. And now you get into you know, what is TCP doing, right? Like, how does that actually, how does that actually work? What does a well-behaved application look like? And what does one that, um, you know, I used to joke, right? At, at times it, it felt like, you know, we'd get some startup that hired, you know, a freshman in college to go write an application for them and, and sell it to us super cheap, right? And we were all over it because the price yeah, was great. Yeah. And then we wondered why, you know, it was having all these problems and everybody blamed the network type of thing. Um, once I could, yeah. once I could speak to other people within my organization at kind of that, that level, I, I found one, like it really elevated my credibility within the organization. Um, you know, so, mm -hmm. so that was really helpful. And, you know, I mean, I even got to the point where like, I would have the, the, the server and infrastructure teams and, you know, the application teams coming to me and they're like, Hey, we don't actually think this is a network problem, but can you look at this packet capture? Because, we're not really sure exactly what's happening here. Um, you know, it's not working right, and maybe you can you can help diagnosis and tell us what's happening. Sean, I don't I don't believe you at all. <laughs> no no server sysadmin DevOps person has ever ever on the face of this earth ever started a conversation with I don't think it's the network, but can you help me? That's that's crazy. But I do understand what you're saying. It's like a cultural change, isn't it? Because there is this understanding that the network exists as the, uh, the substrate, the mechanism to deliver the services, which are usually in the form of an application down to human beings. 
And since it's this you know, weird collection of all these different types of networks and, and all these things going on, you, you have no choice but to have a bigger focus today as a network, and a network engineer more than ever on what the application is doing. I was on mute when you said this, so you didn't hear me laugh, but you said the words like well-written application. <laughs> is that, I, think, I think that's what you said, right? What is that? I don't know. But that is, that is another thing. It's, um, it, it's, it's going both directions. Yeah, it's network engineers understanding uh, application activity and how APIs, calls work and all that. All right, that's cool. But I am, I am talking to DevOps folks that are developers first, but are now learning more and more networking. So that way the applications they write actually perform the way they need to perform, sometimes because it's like in a new cloud native environment or... You know, it's in a mixture of cloud native and something that was lifted and shifted, that sort of thing. So I am seeing that kind of cross the aisle communication going on. No, absolutely. I mean, I see that, especially in my role now, right? A little bit of the nature of the, the role that I'm in now, I see that a bit as well. Is that, you know, it is, um, it, there is some definitely more of that cross collaboration. And, and, you know, I think that's where you start getting into some of the elements that you're really providing like a high level of value. Um, you know, when you can get to that kind of point, like it, it, it really provides a higher level of value back to, you know, whoever your customer is, whether that's internal or external, right? Um, you're able to just really, you know, solve some kind of interesting problems at that point. Um, and, and again, you're looking at it from, you know, what I would say of, of more about what's important to, you know, the overall business directive and, and kind of, you know, organization itself rather than than just you know hey i have two switches plugged into each other do i see mac addresses okay we're done um, mm -hmm. type of thing or can i ping right and, you know hey i can ping it must not be the network um yeah yeah exactly i've been i've been there where you know the pings go through it's not the network and i'm out but the reality is you know like folks say latency is the new outage there are so many different components that can cause latency and therefore poor application performance and the pings are going through just fine. You know, they're not they're not having a problem, but the latency could be caused some kind of a network latency. You know, and so tracking that down is is, is a little different than than you know what I would have done ten or twelve or fifteen years ago. Um, when if the pings go through, like you said, then uh, that's it. We're done. Um, now we're looking at identifying causes of latency in the path when the path is all over the place. You know, do I have DPI going on where it shouldn't be? You know, uh, do I have um, latency going in a particular ASN on my provider's networks and I have to track it down so I can make a phone call? See, I can't even fix it, but maybe I can track it down with a good visibility tool. So, uh, you know, you, you're really talking about this evolving skill set focused on, on uh, the, the knowledge of applications. But can we get specific for a minute? What do network engineers really need to know about application networking? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it, it's definitely a good question. What I, my perspective on it, you know, and you definitely don't need to, like, it, it can feel overwhelming at times, but it doesn't necessarily need to be. And what I really mean by that is, you know, you don't need to understand every component about exactly how the application works. That's, that's not what I mean um, when I say understanding how the application kind of communicates. It's really about understanding things that maybe, you know, a, a TCP or an HTTPS you know, type of level, depending on what's going on. You mentioned earlier, like CASB and, and so forth. You know, when you get to that kind of point of things, we're doing more and more now in the middle of the application flow to drive some sort of intelligence um, into that and make a decision about sending things down a certain path. And sometimes that happens, you know, above layer three and layer four. 
And so it's good to kind of have some knowledge around what that looks like. One of the things that I like to, to you know, advise people, the, the old kind of like, um, some people use this in interviews as well, right? But the, the test around like, okay, you know, you open up a web browser and you go to a website type of thing, like what happens, right? You type in, you know, google.com, what's happening from your computer. Having that type of level of understanding of just, you know, the mechanisms that that's going through, what's happening from a DNS perspective, what's then turning around and happening from, you know, a TLS certificate perspective, um, and then looking at, okay, you're doing the right. HTTP get, and how does that come back? Understanding that type right. of flow, like, if you understand that, to me, like, you have such a solid foundation in the fundamentals about how things are getting delivered across a network. Uh, you couple that with, yeah. you know, some, some routing and switching and core network engineering skills. It's like a really powerful combination, and, and I see that as being well-suited for network engineers today, especially in the in the cloud era, um, you know the the thing you kind of mentioned earlier that just you know rings true. And a lot of the times we don't, as network engineers, we don't own all of the networks that we're dependent upon anymore, right? And I think like that's the takeaway in my mind from some of the stuff that you were saying earlier that really resonates with me about like, you know, okay, you you have this network over here, you don't have, you know, is there maybe one ASN? If you're lucky, there's somebody you can call, right? That one ASN might be, I mean, you might not have anybody to call whatsoever, um, you know, on that. And and so, um, yeah, it's, if if you get into those specifics in my mind, if you start understanding again, like at an HTTPS level, at a DNS level, it's kind of, what's the end-to-end delivery of what does that look like? And now you apply that Mm -hmm. to these different types of infrastructure environments. Right. You apply that to your private cloud. Maybe there's some public cloud. Maybe there's multiple public clouds. Um, you know, it, it requires a different level of skill set because you're not going to get the CLI inside AWS for you to go look at the look at the router. Right. You're not going to get the CLI level access into their router. You're going to get an abstraction. of What does that look like? You know, in, into into the public cloud. And so, you know, it's kind of like the. the the tools of behavior that maybe you would expect from configuring, um, you know, your your routers and switches on premises aren't always there. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, the idea here is, you know, you know what it reminds me of. I'm going to show my true colors now, uh, my true nerd colors. There was an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Here we go. And uh, I don't remember the episode, but the, the dad who was just like a walk-on role is walking with his son down the corridor of the Enterprise. And the son, the little boy, was saying, and he was 10 years old, 9 or 10. He goes, Dad, well, I don't want to go to math. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to class. And the dad says, what, what are you saying, son, whatever his name was? Every 10-year-old needs to know calculus. And, and it, you know, I remember that because I thought to myself, oh, so in this fictional future, you know, knowledge keeps growing and developing and building, and, and the baseline goes down and down, uh, like as far as age or like what the minimum requirement is. So I remember, for example, when BGP was like, I went through the Cisco yeah, path, yeah. right, Sean? I started, I had a CCMP, so I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so I use that as my reference just as part of the conversation here so folks can know what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, learning BGP was something like CCIE level. And then it was CCMP level. Well, C- that's part of the CCNA level now, learning how a BGP adjacency forms and, 
um, you know, and, and how it operates. And so, you know, that's how I feel like networking is. Yes, you still have that foundation, like you mentioned, about, uh, you know, knowing how packets move and, and some basic routing, things like that. That's all still foundational. And you do have folks that are literally physically installing boxes and have to upgrade the OS. So there is still that component as well, knowing, you know, the difference between this kind of fiber and that kind of fiber. Um, but the baseline is lower, isn't it? You know, now, uh, you know, an entry-level network engineer has to have an incredible amount of knowledge compared to an entry-level network engineer 10 or 15 years ago, simply not because we're trying to be mean as an industry, but just because of the nature of, of networking today. Uh, in other words, the nature of application delivery today. It's not me sitting at my machine and an IDF down the hall and a server down the next Yeah, floor. absolutely. And I think, too, you know, it's also not people aren't going to their computer to perform specific tasks to go do one thing out of their day, right? I mean, and I think that's what's driving it is that everything's connected. Everything from, you know, IoT sensors in places to, you know, it might be in a restaurant checking the, therm you know, the temperature of a food or something along those lines, right? To, um, you know, I'm here in Las Vegas, all the the casino parking garages have those sensors when you drive into them, right? They'll turn from like green to red. And then I'll go tell you how many spaces are available somewhere, mm -hmm. right? That's going across an Ethernet network, um, yep. you know. And, and so everything, the license plate reader for that, everything is is connected and traversing a network today. And so I think that um, degree of proliferation of, of, you know, technology. And then you also look at the importance, the impact in our lives when there's outages is significantly mm -hmm. more. And so... You know, I, I, is it, is yes, that barrier has gotten lower. I also think the criticality and dependence on, on good networks is stronger than at least I've seen it in, in my 20 years of being in technology. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, mundane stuff for sure. And, you know, things that we use for entertainment, but I mean, I can think of large healthcare systems that are hybrid and multi-cloud and, and uh, have sensor networks that are, I mean, we're talking about healthcare, we're talking about hospitals and operating rooms, right? There's no more mission critical than that, I don't, I don't think. And, and we're talking about uh, military and, the, and you two gentlemen both having experience in the United States military uh, is built on, on a lot of this technology. And that's, again, all mission critical. So um, without, without the network being able to, to pass these services, again, which I, I always see in the form of applications for the most part, um, we, we have nothing. We, we're done. We're going back to terrestrial radio, which I guess we could do. I've seen enough post-apocalyptic movies that are very interesting. And to be, and to be honest, some of it's appealing to me. Like I, I, have, I love going up to the mountains with my family and unplugging on purpose, so I get that. But the reality is, yeah. Phil, is, Phil you're, you're, you're taking notes. You're watching these and uh, filling a notepad. Yeah. <laughs> it's an instructional video. I'm taking notes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, okay, buy hundred acres here, build bunker here. But, uh, but in any case, um, you know, my, the spirit of what I was trying to say is that, you know, we, we are at a point in our society, we have, uh, a, an incredible dependence. It's not just the mundane, but it is those mission critical things. Like you said, some of the sensor networks that you mentioned are absolutely mission critical. So, um, so then, so then uh, as just another aside, you mentioned, uh, quickly in passing an HTTP GET. I didn't know what that was until like five years ago. <laughs> and I've been in networking for a long time. Um, and that's because I didn't need to know. But then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm helping to troubleshoot those things and looking at, all right, we have, a, we have a literal delay in this GET request and it's related to DNS. There's an actual 
uh, file, you know, that's that's holding this up because it, this DNS server is not responding in enough time, and so that that file is not transferring in enough time, and it's one part of an entire web page of of files, you know, for for the user experience. So there I was troubleshooting that that kind of transactional stuff. So then, what what skills specifically? that you personally, would you personally identify as the new skills that somebody getting into this field and specifically networking, however we want to define that, should be learning? Should they be going down a certification path and, and doing that? Should they be uh, focused on uh, d building their developer skills? All of it? What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm still a big proponent of the fundamentals. I don't think you can get away with it. You know, you can get away from that. So, you know, if, if, if certifications are a good, like, forcing mechanism for somebody or to get exposure to maybe technologies that they don't interact with in their day-to-day -day job, that type of thing, right, I think a, a great tool for that. Um, so, yes, I call it your, your you know, core switching and routing type of, type of uh, fundamentals. You know, how is routing done? How are packets delivered? Once you just think about, like, how does a, a given router work of a destination look up and doing longest prefix match? And, you know, there's different tables that get turned around and utilized of your, you know, your your uh, your rib and your fib. And what does that look like? Um, and then start getting into the protocol development. You know, I'm a big fan of, of BGP, of course. Like I said, I work at Juniper. We love BGP for everything. But, nah, you know, um, big fan of BGP. So, you know, you get into BGP, you get into OSPF, um, you know. Is, is EVPN a core fundamental requirement these days everywhere? Um, I, I think that's probably, you know, disputed. You don't have to start with EVPN by any means. But once you start kind of understanding, like, the foundations, right, of, of some of these protocols, what they have in common, kind of how they work, um, of course, it's always easier when you can apply it to your environment. So once you have, like, a good foundation of that, now you can start driving into, you know, of course, there's some skill sets there from like an automation perspective. If you have the ability to write a little bit of Python, it's going to make your life a lot easier, um, much, much easier. And I think that's a good skill set, you know, especially for people up and coming. Um, you know, I struggled with that for the longest time because, you know, I came from a little bit of a different background. Right? I could I could solder a you know, resistor onto a circuit board. Um, once upon a time, don't don't have me do that today. It'd be pretty ugly. Um, but you know, once upon a time, I could do that, right? And and uh, you know, those skills aren't needed anymore. But things around like some basic development, some automation, being able to do some basic type of coding skill sets, absolutely. Now, take that a step further, and if you understand those networking concepts about what those look like, and now you kind of take that into the to the cloud era. Um, more and more, you start. You know, I. I spend a lot of my day around Kubernetes networking and kind of what does that look like? Mm -hmm. um, okay. You know, yeah. cloud platforms these days are largely built upon, you know, Kubernetes environments of some, some way, shape or form. So if you're somebody that's building out like a private cloud environment, you know, in your organization, that's typically, you know, what we, what, what I, what I see um, is typically people building that on, you know, Kubernetes OpenShift, some sort of Kubernetes distribution. So understanding networking in that type of space, I'd say, you know, it's a little bit more advanced, um, but that's kind of when you start getting into the cloud, understanding Linux networking anyways, um, and, and getting into that space and it's kind of understanding what's happening there. I've found, and I'm probably a bit biased on it, I've found that people that can kind of match those two skill sets together 
um, you know, it becomes, it becomes pretty powerful. Can I ask a question, Sean? Uh, so how about um, a, a, a slight tangent from that question is, um, so uh, what were, what were some uh, skills that you, maybe, maybe it's not a technical skill or hard skill, but what were some lessons from your military service that uh, you still use uh, that still serves you well? Is there, are there any? You have any? Oh, there's tons. Okay. <laughs> I figured there would be. Yeah, I thought. I mean, of course, you know, there's, it's a great question. I mean, there's, there's tons, you know, I, I would say, you know, there's a level there that of, of probably some of the more, some of the more kind of like baseline things around just, you know, being able to, to really work to something to get, a, get the accomplishment on the other side. Sometimes I think that can be difficult, especially these days. Um, in a given work environment, it's really easy to go start a bunch of things, but but having the skill set to to kind of know when to say no, and also to just drive through and, and kind of prioritize things, I think is extremely um, extremely helpful. Prioritizing your work, being able to do those types of things, I think is is helpful. What's an example of the, the learn to say no? Um, you know, there's a you're trying to not overstretch yourself. Yeah, try not saying, to overstretch right? yourself, and also understanding where you can provide the most value is going to be the most valuable thing back to your organization. Sometimes people will come and ask for help simply because they they have a relationship they don't know where to go, and that's a that's a good thing. You shouldn't shy away from that. Um, lean into it, but but also be willing to say, you know, hey, let me go pull in the right person to kind of help with that. Um, you know, and then I have this other this other work I need to focus on to get done because that's kind of the more urgent matter. There, there's an element of that, I think, that I picked up from the military, um, oddly enough, of, of, you know, being able to really specify and kind of kind of hone in on it. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, that's probably like a simple one. It's, fun, it's funny, I, I have a, I have a similar, I have a similar uh, lesson as well, you know, in the, uh, maybe, maybe you found this as well, but in, um, uh, as, a, as a junior officer, you end up, your social group, uh, on the base, especially when you're overseas, uh, Americans need to hang out together and, um, uh, you start to meet, meet all the other junior officers. And so each person is, there's only a couple of junior officers in each squadron. So on a base, there's like your social group covers every main function of the right, base. Right. Uh, and so you end up, uh, the people you're, you're going out to the bar with are the people who basically they're the junior guys. So they don't like, they don't have a lot of experience. They're really not, you know, uh, they're not that great at stuff. They do have authority, even though it may be misplaced. So if they really felt, you know, inspired, they could order somebody to do something, you know, but I, I had a couple of times where I, I realized how powerful that was. Uh, you know, uh, I got to Aviano in uh, August 2001. The following month was September 11th. We were in a mobile unit, uh, so the rest of the time there was just we were just constantly getting our chain yanked of getting de uh, deployed. Ultimately, Sean and I ended up deploying to Iraq in November 2003. But you know that earlier that year there was like at least three, maybe four times we were told to start packing up, uh, and we're on our way out the door, and then they're like, oh never mind, you know, and then we're like, all right, fine. You know, like, it's just very, very nerve wracking. But I know that there was one of these times, I think when, um, I can't remember what point it was, but we had stuff we had to get out. This is just during the, um, uh, when Afghanistan was, uh, the, like Iraq had not started yet. And so the, uh, and we had, uh, power generation guys that we needed to get into Pakistan. Um, and, and so there was something like a task came down we had to get somebody out like in 12 hours, uh, tell a kid, pack your stuff, get this gear, you're getting on a plane and there's no time and, and the plane's landing and you're getting on it. And the, there's some sort of snag in the logistics uh, where somebody was not, yeah, they were, um, 
uh, they wouldn't let him ghost. So he, he was getting his shots and doing all these things, and they would let the paperwork go and take your place uh, as you're getting on the plane until you finally arrive. And uh, and they wouldn't let him let, wouldn't let him do this. And so I knew the the officer, uh, he's a friend of mine, and I just called him. I was like, explain the situation. I was like, can you make this happen? He's like, you got it. And uh, turned around. I was like, oh, this is really powerful just to know other people and just know if I could just pick up a phone. And it was a common sense thing. Like every, everything worked out. It was the way it was supposed to work. I just needed the right person to talk to, explain the situation. And I was like, I was like, I need to make a point of this. It's just, it's just networking, you know, in general. But I kind of, ever since then, I was like, oh, like, you know, if you can kind of maintain some good rapport with people, a lot of people uh, like to help. Uh, and if it's easy, you okay. know, they, they're happy to hook you up with something um, if it doesn't, you know, cost them a lot. Um, so that was one, you know, lesson. It's a little, a little bit relates to you know, what you're des- describing, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's really true. Um, that, that's definitely, that's definitely one, you know, there's so many other things like from, you know, military time of like, sometimes you just have to get the work done, right. You just kind of figure it out and like, you just kind of press through and, and, um, you know, dealing with non-optimal situations to get to the outcome that's required, I think is, probably another one of those skill sets that, um, you know, I use all the time. It, it, it's, it's easy and without getting like too philosophical, but you know, it's easy to kind of like walk into a job or walk into an organization and, and critique, um, you know, but if you walk in with like a little bit of, you know, if you approach the situation with more like, um, you know, they say like approach things with curiosity rather than judgment, right? If you approach it more with like curiosity and it's like, Hey, you know, how can I help, you know, and and kind of look at things from a different, a little bit of a different perspective, offer to help less judgment. And, you know, you kind of assume that you give people the benefit of doubt that they're all trying to do their best to, to get to a good outcome of what you need to get to. And, um, you know, I think that for me anyway, uh, it served me well to go, to go far in my career and it's really helped me out and other people have been willing, you know, to open up opportunities for me later on down the road that I wouldn't otherwise have, um, you know, without that being, being kind of happening. So I know, I know we kind of went off on a lot of this, uh, this side discussion, but I think it's a good point, especially as people are kind of, you know, thinking about their careers, some of the, maybe the non-technical aspects of it as well. Yeah. Yeah, the non-technical aspects of my career are some of the things that have driven my career in the most recent days. And I have to admit, I don't, I don't have a, a, a military background by any means, but I, um, uh, I didn't start my professional career in technology. Well, let me rephrase that. I didn't start my professional life in working in technology. Um, I was in education. And I always kind of dumped on that uh, for a long time. Because it's like, I, sh- I wish I got a CS degree, and I wish I got into tech earlier, things like that. Um, but the last five years, seven years of my career have been driven predominantly by m- the skills that I developed as a classroom teacher. <laughs> and so here I am, you know, providing for my family. I have a wife and children, and we pay the mo- I pay the mortgage. So it's not like it's a, just a fulfillment of my desires. No, it's like a very practical thing, uh, d- growing a career. So... Um, you know, th- though my experience is very different, of course, um, uh, it does what you say does resonate as far as the um, uh, the non technical skills, the people skills, the I don't want to say social skills, but the ability to uh, you know go beyond just seeing packets and and um, uh, CLI and configurations, things like that. So, 
definitely a, a tangent, but a, a very good tangent in the sense that it's part of your journey, part of who you are, and that's why we wanted to have you on today. Uh, in fact, I think it would be awesome to just focus on that for a show in the future and just focus on how uh, this, uh, having a background in uh, the armed forces, whether it's in the United States or not, depending on the guest, um, has helped shape your career in technology. It'd be very interesting. But for now, uh, this has been great, Sean. Great, Doug. Thank you uh, for joining. Really appreciate it. Uh, if folks have a question for you, Sean, uh, how can they reach out to you online? Um, yeah, I, I'd say probably the best way is on, on Twitter. Uh, it's S-H-E-A-N-L-V, so Sean L-V um, on Twitter is probably the best way to uh, to reach out to me. And, yeah, I really appreciate you, you both having me on, and um, it was a really good conversation. Yep, agree. Doug, uh, how about you? How can folks reach out to you online? Uh, yeah, I'm on uh, uh, Twitter and LinkedIn, just my name, uh, nothing nothing clever i'm not that clever uh but uh and then and then sean i'll i'll say for it so it's uh it's l-e-i-g-o-n there is a legion of misspellings out there uh i'll say uh <laughs> the le le legion the i be, be careful where the i is in that name uh because it it may jump uh out of your um uh, view, but um, anyway, yeah, so it's it great talking to you, Sean, and um, as always, and uh, let's keep in touch. Doug, you just said you weren't clever, and here you are coming up with all these, you know, clever puns. Yeah, yeah look at me, man. I'm uh, <clears throat> selling myself short. Oh, absolutely. And you can find me on Twitter. Still, I am active there, network underscore Phil. You can search my name on LinkedIn. Uh, now, if you are interested in being a guest on Telemetry Now, or if you have an idea of an of a episode, idea for a podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at telemetrynow at kentic.com. So until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.